Now, um, I don't know what your week's been like. I can hazard a guess as to what your Saturday evening might have been like uh, for some of the off the announcement yesterday. Um, for, for us as a family, it's um, it's been quite a tough week, a number of difficult circumstances, particularly for Caroline. And so it was a real encouragement on Thursday. Um, I got a text from my best mates. He said this. He said, um, been praying for you, mate, uh, today. And this was my church's reading, uh, which I thought was so relevant. So let me send this to you now. And he sent this. He sent this, which is Hebrews 4. Uh, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Now, spoiler alert, that is the verse where we're going to end up on today. Um, so I thought I'd start at the end so you can see where we're getting to. And you may be coming to Leviticus this evening and going, what on earth will this have to say to me today with, with all that might be going on in your head? Lots of things going on potentially. Well, the Lord knew when my mate Phil sent that text that this is what we were preaching on. And he knew uh, that this word is the one he wants us to hear tonight, where we'll land on Hebrews off the back of Leviticus 9 and 10. We're going to look at the priests today and we're going to see, as we looked at last week, how uh, they're shadows, shadows in Leviticus, which point towards the wonderful and great high priest who today intercedes on our behalf, who today says, Come and approach with confidence. Come and approach the throne of grace with confidence. Come now in your time of need and find grace. Maybe that's something you need to hear today. We can approach the throne of grace with confidence. And so we're going to get there. Uh, we're going to end there. But let me pray now that we will see that reality, that as we see Jesus in his glory, our confidence approach, to approach him increases tonight. So let, let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much that we as your people can gather tonight and we can approach your throne of grace with confidence, knowing you will help us in our time of need, knowing that you by your spirit will speak to us tonight through your word. Help us to listen, help us to increase in our, in our love for you and in our confidence to approach you boldly as you command us to. Amen. So um, recap, if you weren't here last week, but if you, if you were, then it's a good reminder as well. We've been looked, looking at how Leviticus is asking the big question of how can a holy God live amongst an unholy people? Last week, we saw initially how this book is, uh, first of all, looks about how can we approach God? And we saw sacrifices outlined as the way God gave his people to live with him. We saw wonderfully, our hells reminded us, how today we live knowing that Jesus came as the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate costly, bloody substitutionary sacrifice. And today now we, we focus on, on the similar things, but we focus on those who were conducting those sacrifices, the priests, and especially the high priest, the only one who once a year was allowed to approach the Holy of Holies. And then, as I've already spoiled for you, we're going to see how Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of this. He is our true and better high priest. And that is wonderfully good news. As we said last week, as we go through this series, our, our prayer is it gives us a, a richer and deeper understanding of Jesus' work on the cross uh, and of his work and 
his work in our lives now so that we may deepen our love and affection for him. It may enrich our worship. It may give us a greater vision of who Jesus is and why he came. And we need categories to understand Jesus. And God kindly provides these for us. It's, it's hard to grasp something, isn't it, otherwise? And in the Old Testament, we get some of these categories, which are really helpful. And in Leviticus, we get this category today of the priest, which helps us further understand Jesus. I don't know if you're probably all on computers today, and it's a bit like a computer. Have you ever found it odd when you actually stop to think about it, uh, that a computer has a recycling bin? It doesn't recycle anything. Um, or trash can. It's bizarre. It's not a trash can, is it? Um, you have folders, you have files, you have all sorts of documents, all these words which hark back to, let's go the 50s. Uh, when did recycling become fashionable? Who knows? 2015. Um, but when operating systems were first established, those inventing these computers, they used these terms to give us a frame of reference, to help us understand what we were doing, what we were looking at, to make sense of them. And for all of history, God in his kindness has given people categories to make sense of who Jesus is and what he came to do. And so today, as we dive into the priest, we'll get a, get a richer, fuller understanding of who Jesus is and why he came. Um, the priesthood was established in Exodus. I'd encourage you to read Exodus maybe this week. Maybe make most of some of those extra nights in. Have a flick through Exodus. Uh, you can hear some of the background to this. And their job as priests were to be mediators, mediators between the people and God and between God and the people. Now, a mediator is a, is a go-between, a reconciler. I've um, been fortunate to go to America, if, well, fortunate, let's say, I've been to America a few times, um, and you often see giant billboards on the freeway um, for different types of lawyers. It's a bizarre culture in that sense. I like to lawyer up. Um, but the most prominent ones, very sadly, were for divorce lawyers. So often you'd see those. And if you read the small print, it often said that they offered mediation services for when couples, instead of suing each other, they reached an agreement through a legal third party, a mediator. Mediation happens when the parties are so far apart from each other that they cannot resolve things themselves. That's what a mediator is needed for. And the priest's job was to be a mediator between us and God, a holy God and us people so far from that so often. Their job was to offer sacrifices to God and also to teach the people God's law, to instruct them as to how to be holy. That's the job of the priests. And the first thing we saw in our passage, as we look down at their ordination, the first thing we see is a glorious beginning, a glorious beginning. I don't know if you noticed it, for Aaron and his sons, um, as they were to become priests, it took a whole week of preparation a whole week of preparation. As we start chapter nine, we didn't look at chapter eight, maybe read it another time. Um, we're on day eight of their preparation. Now, sacrifice has been made, new clothes have been worn, they've had lots of washing, anointing has happened, loads has gone on to prepare them to be the first priests in this new system. And then in verse two, if you look down on me, hopefully you've got Bibles open or, or nearby, you get this lovely detail. It's a lovely detail. I would have missed it myself uh, completely if it wasn't for commentaries, which pulled this out brilliantly. Uh, a wonderful detail of God, that our God is a God full of mercy. Verse two, it says, he that is Moses said to Aaron, take a bull calf for your sin offering and a ram for your burnt offering, both without defect and present them 
before the Lord. Nowhere in scripture, in any of the pages of the regulations about sacrifices, is a bull calf mentioned. Not one place. The lamb with the ram without defect, that's mentioned. The bull calf's never mentioned. The place where bull calf is most recently mentioned is in Exodus 32. If you've got a Bible, maybe flip back to it, but I'll read it for you now. This is what happened in Exodus 32. We talked about it a bit last week. Moses is up the mountain at Mount Sinai, and it says, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron, Moses' brother, and they said, come, make us gods who will go before us, gods who we can see. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. He's still at the mountain. He's up there 40 days and all. Aaron answered them, okay, take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing, and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings, brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a bull calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Aaron, Leviticus 9, the man about to be ordained as the high priest, the man about to become the only person who could enter the most holy place where God's presence especially dwelt, a few weeks, months, maybe previously, had made a golden bull calf idol for the people because they were bored that it was taking God so long to speak with Moses. So what's going on in verse two when Moses said to Aaron that he was to sacrifice a bull calf? As we said, it's not prescribed anywhere in law. What God in his utter mercy and kindness was doing was assuring Aaron that his sin had been dealt with. He'd monumentally, royally messed up, but he was forgiven. He needed to pay a sacrifice and he was forgiven. What a reminder for us today. Maybe that's what you need to hear today. There is more mercy in God than there is sin in us. God has always been a God of utter mercy. We see them that little detail there with Aaron right at the start. And that kicks off chapter nine. Chapter eight, as I said, was instructions full uh, around how the priests would be ordained. And then we saw again, we saw it when we read in chapter uh, nine and we see it again in chapter eight. Again and again, we see that they did whatever they did because the Lord commanded Moses to do that. As the Lord commanded Moses, it repeats it 10, 15 times in chapters eight and nine. As the Lord commanded Moses, there's no complacency, there's no assumptions, there's no lack of preparation. They did exactly as the Lord commanded them in order to be totally pure as they approached the utterly holy God. And all of this process was with one aim. The aim we see outlined in uh, chapter nine, verse six. It says, Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded you to do so that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. All the people are standing there. Moses says, all of this rigmarole, all of this ordination process, these sacrifices, was all so that the glory of the Lord might appear before the people, that God's presence, God's weightiness might appear amongst them. Then, uh, as we read on in chapter nine, uh, Aaron conducts a number of sacrifices. We see the burnt offering we saw last week, the grain offering, the fellowship offering, the sin offering. And it says he did everything he needed to do just as the Lord commanded him. He followed it all to a perfect T. And in verse 23, for the first time, Aaron enters the tent of meeting. 
He enters the tent of meeting the tabernacle as the people's mediator, their representative for the first time. And then verses 23 and 24 says, when Aaron and Moses came out, they blessed the people and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted for joy and fell face down. I want us to take a, a step back, try and get into our, our dusty, wandering Israelite shoes. The glory of the Lord appeared. And then they saw fire coming down, consuming the offering, showing that God was accepting their offering. The offering made on the people's behalf by their mediator. The offerings we looked at last week, which made atonement, which showed utter devotion, which reminded them of their fellowship, which offered payment for sins. And as the fire came down, the Lord accepted their offering and the people rejoiced. They shouted for joy and fell face down because they were reconciled at peace and able to dwell amongst the living God. For us, this glorious shadow is seen in fullness at Christmas. It's nearly Christmas. We can talk about Christmas. John 1.14 says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word his dwelling tabernacled amongst us. And it says, we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus came and made his dwelling among us. And John says, we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son. At Christmas, that's what we specifically remember, that God himself came and lived among us. Did we notice, we go through Leviticus 9, the detail of all that needed to take place in order to remove sin and make it possible for the people to be able to approach God? the rigmarole, the commands. At Christmas specifically, we marvel and delight at how God approached us. He made it possible through Jesus. He came in all his glory. Chapter nine of Leviticus is a wonderful high point in the history of the people of Israel. It's often described as the, the highest point since Eden itself when God walked amongst man in harmony, restored. God appears in his glory. It's a glorious beginning and then we have chapter 10 and i apologize for the pun i stole it from someone else we see two priests are fired and it's more serious than the pun suggests aaron's sons nadab and abihu took their censers they put fire in them and added incense and they offered unauthorized fire before the lord contrary to his command so fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. This happened on the same day as what we just looked at. Um, and we don't know exactly what they did wrong. Um, they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord. We, we don't quite know what that means. There's some inferences we can work out potentially. Later in chapter 10, it talks about um, how priests need to not drink alcohol when they're in the state of purification so were they drunk possibly after the feasting um maybe they used the wrong sensors the wrong coals some people uh, say later on it may, maybe it's clear that they went into the holy of holies the place which is only reserved for the high priest on one day only after many many steps of purification 
we don't know exactly what Aaron's sons did. What we do know and what is key is what the verse says, they offered unauthorized style before the Lord, contrary to his command, contrary to his command. Chapters eight and nine, again and again, we see they did as the Lord commanded. They did as the Lord commanded. They did as the Lord commanded again and again and again. They followed it to a T, exactly what the Lord said. We learn here that the only way to approach God is through the way he defines. The only way to approach God is through the way he defines. Ultimately, whether what Nahab and Abihu did wrong was willful or accidental, it doesn't matter. We can see that the... There was a lack of appropriate fear before the Lord. And the result might seem brutal to us. It might seem foreign to us, maybe. So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Fire in chapter 9 had come out and consumed the sacrifice, showing God's acceptance of it. The high point since Eden. This must be one of the lowest as the priests are consumed. And maybe as you listen, you can't help but ask, what kind of God would do this? You maybe rationalized in your head and went, well, okay, yeah, fine. The, the God of the Old Testament, he was a bit more serious, a bit more scary, um, but that's not the God we find in the New Testament. That was a God of wrath. This is a God of love in the New Testament. So, okay, I can rationalize that. Well, hopefully, We've seen, as we've outlined, as we saw with Aaron and the bull calf, God has always fundamentally been a God of mercy. The fact that he even wants to have a relationship with us, wants to have his people, is so merciful in spite of our rejection of him. But he is holy. We saw it this morning in the All Age Gathering, and he always has been. And he commands total obedience. And in the New Testament, we see in Acts 5, the story of Ananias and Sapphira, Similar in some ways, they deceive the apostles about a gift. Both are killed by God. And it says a great fear seized the whole church. God's character is steady and stable. It always has been. The issue at hand in Leviticus 10 was, was God God? Did his word really matter? And the answer is a resounding yes. And what is our God like? Our God is a consuming fire. We need to hear the same lesson that verse three goes on to say. Moses then said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke of when he said, among those who approach me, I will be proved holy. In the sight of all the people, I will be honored. Our God will be proved holy. God's holiness and honor must be upheld, will be upheld. We need a right and appropriate fear of God today. R.C. Sproul talks up this instant and helpfully he says this, it's on screen for you. It says, from delaying Adam's eternal death after he sinned to the grace shown the church today, it is clear our father gives mercy to the unworthy. That we must never use his, this grace as a license to sin or believe we deserve it. For if we do, we have ceased to understand what mercy truly is. If you're stuck in a sin that is overwhelming you, find help to overcome it. One lesson for us here today, friends, let us not take sin lightly. Let's take God's command seriously. We're going to look at that in depth next week. The right response to God's mercy is not license, but holiness. And here we see this is true, especially of the priests.
If we read on in chapter 10, Aaron cannot mourn. He's not allowed to mourn. He's not allowed to leave to grieve with his family or he would become unclean. Who would be a priest? Be like dealing with live electricity all the time, constantly on edge in some ways. The priest took eight days to prepare to even enter the tabernacle. They had needed a right and appropriate fear of the awesome holy God. Is that a category for God we have in our heads? Awesomeness, a right and appropriate fear of the holy God. The writer of the Proverbs says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So we learn that, but we also learn what fundamentally we see right from the outset here in Leviticus. We see right from the start that the Arenic priesthood was inadequate. The priesthood was inadequate. Like the Titanic, it was named and it sank on its first voyage and it did not improve over time. None of the priests added up and eventually the work of the priests completely breaks down. We see that throughout the Old Testament. A better priest was needed. In 1 Samuel 2, we see it prophesied. It says, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. We need a mediator. We need a proper mediator. We need a faithful priest who will not fail, who can constantly and always mediate between us and God. We need Jesus. Jesus is the priest we need we've seen a glorious beginning we've seen two priests fired and jesus is the priest we need you see an ideal mediator would understand and get both sides of a conflict wouldn't they they'd understand it and jesus does he was fully god and fully man his humanity shows us that he is the the perfect one for the priestly task of representing his human family before god and showing us what God is like. To represent us, to be our mediator, he needs to be like us. He was like us in every way except without sin. He did everything the Lord commanded. He was sinless and he offered the perfect sacrifice himself. The book of Hebrews then tells us that unlike the priests who had to offer sacrifices again and again and again and again, year after year, his sacrifice was once and forever. As Mike reminded us last week in his prayer at the end, when Jesus died on the cross as the perfect sacrifice we need, he said, it is finished. It is complete. No more do we need to offer bloody animal sacrifices. Jesus' sacrifice was total and it was complete, which is wonderfully good news for us today. So the truth is all of us offer up unauthorized or strange fire like the Lord uh, to the Lord like Nadab and Abihu, don't we? We offer up our, our incense of, of independence, our self-dependence, our self-righteousness. I'll do it my way. I'll do it for my glory. And like those two sons so often, most of us are quite indifferent or flippant about it. But as we look to Jesus, we see he is the only high priest who offers up a pleasing and lasting aroma before the Lord. His sacrificial and obedient death, his powerful, glorious resurrection... The two priests in Leviticus 10 were not the only priests who were consumed by the wrath of God as they made an offering. Remember Calvary, him for me, him for us. Christ died for sinners. He was judged in our place. He offered up his life for our sins. He was both the high priest and the offering. He is our mediator. 1 Timothy 2 says that there is one God 
and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. That is great and wonderful news. That is true for you today if you put your trust in Jesus. We have a mediator between God and man. Praise God. But as we finish, cycling back to this week, cycling back to the here and now, how does this wonderful truth, and it is truly wonderful that Jesus is our true and better high priest, but he made it possible to not only live with a holy God, but have a deep and intimate relationship with him. How does that truth help us today? How does that help us this week? How does it help in the next month of lockdown? Well, as we close, there's going to be three main results we see, and we're going to unpack them from Hebrews 4 as we drop in. So here's Hebrews 4, verses 14 to 16. It's on screen there for you to read. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So the first thing we see for today is that we have a high priest who knows what life is really like. We have a high priest who knows what life is really like. There are so many places in Hebrews we could go to see what it means for Jesus to be our high priest now. But what a wonderful encouragement this is. We have a high priest who can empathize in our weaknesses. We are the perfect mediator who knows what it's like to be tempted in every way. We're the perfect mediator who can sympathize with us in our pain, in our suffering, because he experienced pain and he went all the way through to death. And he can sympathize with us in our temptation to sin because he himself was tempted in every way. As we look at his life, we see it again and again. Tempted to lie to save his life. Tempted to take revenge when wrongly accused. Tempted to get angry at God when John the Baptist was killed on the whim of a dancing girl. Tempted to covet, maybe, when seeing all the nice things Zacchaeus owned. The Bible's clear he was tempted in every way and yet never sinned. Jesus knows what it was like. He fought the battle of sin and he won every single time. But he doesn't just sit back, watch and tut at us as we struggle. He's a sympathetic high priest. And because of that, we see two more results. Firstly, we can approach God confidently. In Leviticus, the, the people needed to stay, even when he came down, and he stayed at least 90 feet away from God. They weren't allowed inside the tabernacle, only the high priests were. He was near and yet not near, inviting and yet intimidating. But now we're told that we can approach not just the outside of the tabernacle, we can approach the throne room, the most holy place, not with stuttering steps, not with shame or worry, but with confidence. Do you maybe feel ashamed, like you can't approach God? Do you feel guilt-ridden, unworthy? If you put your trust in Jesus, you can approach with confidence. You can draw near and worship, not because of anything in yourself, but because we've been united to Christ in his death and in his resurrection and now in his victory as he sits in the throne room of God. We can have total assurance as we approach we can approach confidently, have total insurance because we see in Hebrews 7 this. 
It says, now there have been many of those priests, those high priests, since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. If I asked you, what is Jesus doing now? I wonder what you'd say. You may find that an odd question. Isn't all of his work done? Is he sitting down at the right hand of the father? Hasn't all my sin been dealt with? Was something not done on the cross? Yes, it's been finished. As we said, but Jesus right now is in heaven interceding on our behalf. We can approach the throne of grace with confidence because we know that Jesus right now is interceding on our behalf. Dane Ortland explains, I'll read this from his wonderful book, Gentle and Lowly. He says, think of an older brother cheering on his younger brother in a track event. Even if in that final stretch, the younger brother is well out ahead and will certainly win the race, does the older brother sit back quietly, complacently satisfied? No, not at all. He's yelling at the top of his lungs, exclamations of encouragement, of affirmation, of celebration and of victory. This is the explicit acknowledgement that we Christians are ongoing sinners. Christ continues to intercede on our behalf in heaven because we continue to fail here on earth. So we can approach the throne of grace with confidence because Christ is interceding on our behalf. We can come to Jesus every day with confidence in spite of our sin because it's dealt with fully through the mediating work of this great high priest, this permanent great high priest. May that give us assurance and confidence today. And the final implication we see, we can approach God now for our present and future needs. If we've lived on earth for five minutes, we'll know that life can be hard, can't it? Maybe thrown a, for you again into stark reality this week. For some, lockdown will be really hard. A lonely, worrying time, maybe. In church now, as I look around, I know of relatives who are real or dying. I know of wedding plans thrown up in the air. Job uncertainty. For many right now, it feels like life is hard. As I said earlier, for me and Carolyn, this week has been hard, and that's okay. We're not told the Christian life will be easy. This verse in Hebrews, as my mate sent it to me, has been a comfort this week. As it says, draw near to the throne of grace. Draw near to the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He knows our pain. He took on full humanity himself. He knows what's going on. He experienced isolation. He experienced death. He experienced temptation in every way. And he is here to help us now, to help you now. Draw near, he says. Come close to me, the great high priest. Your unholiness has been dealt with by me, so you can draw near to me. Draw near, come close, receive mercy and find grace to help you now. Draw near. Don't run from God. Don't push him away. Don't get angry at him, bitter and resentful. Don't let yourself be tempted in that way. God is utterly good, full of mercy and grace. And he says, draw near to me. He says, I get it. He says, I know you. I know what's going on. I've lived it. 
Come to me with it. Pray to me. Sit with me. Listen to me in my word. Encourage those around you with my truth. Draw near to me today. He's offered the perfect sacrifice. He's made it possible for us to not only be 90 feet away from the presence of God, but to go right into the inner place, into a throne with confidence. So friends, whatever the situation is right now, will we draw near to our great high priest? Let me pray. Father, thank you. And as we pray to you now, we know the Lord Jesus interceding on our behalf. That he is the true and better high priest. Who offered the perfect sacrifice. And it mediates on our behalf so that we can approach him with utter confidence. Amen.